can open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. As Zach said earlier, we're starting our series. So I think, um, I don't know, since you, uh, most of you know, work at Snowbird um, on staff there, and we have this campus, our main campus, and we have our north campus, which is where we do 99% of our worship services now. And, and I don't know how many times uh, been driving over there, especially this past summer, it seemed like it happened a lot, and driving over to the north campus for a worship service, and it just seems like, I'm not going to get super spiritual, um, well, actually we will, it's church, but, uh, <laughs> but I don't know how many times there's just been just a brilliant rainbow, like, I mean, right over the building, and, and, and there's, you know, 600 students and chaperones going in there to worship, and just really cool moments, and, and, and you know, and they're, usually when you see that, like, I'll, I'll call my wife and say, hey, go outside and see if you, get the kids outside and see if you can see it from the house, and it's just beautiful, and I think for, for Christians, one, you know, we can appreciate just the beauty of it, but also what it means for us that, you know, why God created it, why we're seeing it, and what it means as far as God's covenant promises to us, um, but then also it's just this past week, and I've used this before, but I was just thinking again, like, you know, what is it? What, what, what am I seeing? Is what I'm seeing real? Because depending on where you stand and where you're standing in relationship to the sun can, can change how you perceive the rainbow. And, and so I did a little bit of research on this. And I'm no scientist, uh, but I listened to one on YouTube. And what, what he said is what's happening is, right, you've got the light from the sun. You've got this white light that our, our eyes don't even, you know, perceive as a color you know, coming through the atmosphere, and then depending on where you're standing in relationship to the sun, and if there's water droplets in the sky, the light, the white light is going through the front side of that water droplet, refracting, (laughs) hitting the, (laughs) maybe I am a scientist, hits the back side of the water droplet, reflects, goes through the front side again, so refracted once more, and through that process, the, what we perceive as white light gets, gets divided up into all these different colors that make up light. So our eyes are able to perceive the red and the orange and the yellow and the green and the blue and maybe for you, just like me, just purple. Some people say indigo and violet. I feel uncomfortable saying that I see those, so I just say purple, right? But but all of a sudden you're able to appreciate like what you're seeing is light radiating from the sun and you get to appreciate it and, and it's, it's beauty and, and separate it out. Sometimes, man, the red is just so brilliant. And I think about that because when, <laughs> when we come, uh, I'm not gonna do it. When we come to the book of Hebrews, I think what's so awesome and unique about it and why unfortunately for some people it's intimidating to study is because it just presents Jesus from a slightly different angle. From maybe a slightly different angle than you're used to hearing about him and seeing him and, and, and especially as we get into the later chapters and we're looking at what does it mean that Jesus is our great high priest. And I think what's so awesome is, yeah, Jesus is better. 
Right? That, that is the whole focus of the book. It, it, it's what we sang about a little while ago, that Jesus is better. He's supreme. He's superior then, and then you can fill in the blank because he's superior to everything and everyone. He's over all creation because he made it. It all belongs to him. He is the point and the goal of all creation. Supreme. And what the writer of Hebrews does is just allows us to take a slightly different angle on how we understand him and how we relate to him and how we can come to him. It's beautiful. So, we'll start in chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray one more time. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would be exalted, that your supremacy would be put on display, not just tonight as we work through this text, but through this series and through our own personal pursuit of you individually and then corporately as a church, that you would be supreme in Red Oak and that we would see you that way and we would respond to you in like manner. Lord, we love you and we need you. In Christ's name, amen. So, he sets out in these, these verses are just so packed full of theology and truth about Christ and he is exalting Christ and, and really he lays out these first few verses that, that then get unpacked throughout the letter. It really does serve as a good introduction to what I believe is written primarily to be a sermon, the letter of Hebrews. And he says, long ago and many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. And so he sets up this contrast between how God used to speak in various ways, various times through prophets, and how he has now spoken through his son. And the contrast is good, and he's contrasting not just Old Testament prophets to Jesus, but the Old Covenant, the Old Testament itself, to the New Covenant under Christ. And this isn't so much about a one was insufficient and lacking as much as it is like it was not fulfilled. That, that, that God has been progressively revealing himself to humanity from the beginning. And in his grace, in his kindness, he did that in the Old Testament in a whole bunch of different ways. And so if you're familiar with the Old Testament, let let that just kind of run through your mind. Think about all the different ways God communicated throughout the Old Testament. Think about how he came to Abraham. How sometimes he would send angels that they, they literally saw, and those angels spoke to them and brought the message of God. In fact, that's for, for Jews, that's how they understand 
understood how God would communicate with the prophets is that God in his heavens, because of his holiness, in order to be able to communicate with us, in order to be able to begin to reveal himself back to a fallen and sinful human race, he would send angels, messengers, with his word, who would bring it to the prophet, and the prophet then would speak it to the people. And sometimes he did that through dreams and visions. One time he spoke through a donkey. One time he had a hand appear out of nowhere to write on a wall all these different ways that God spoke, and that was good, it was God's grace, and he was revealing truth about himself, truth that has not changed. But it was all building to something. All of that was building to something better, and the something better isn't a something, it's a someone. It's the final, full, supreme revelation of God through Jesus Christ, the Son. Jesus is a better prophet because he isn't just receiving a message about God and relaying it. He is revealing who God is and he himself is God. He's spoken to us by his son. And he says, in these last days, in these last days, and what he's saying is, man, with the appearance of Christ, with the coming of Christ, what we just celebrated, the incarnation, God becoming a human being, taking on flesh, in that moment when God comes into the world, he begins the last days. There's no more revelation to come. Jesus has spoken. He's brought this final, full revelation of who God is to us. So the Old Testament to the New Testament is about promise to fulfillment. It's about shadow giving way to the reality. And that reality is Christ and who he is and what he would accomplish. The incarnation in these last days, the incarnation of the advent of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection and ascension has brought the world into the last days. Jesus entering the world has brought on the time of fulfillment. The real has come and the shadow has given way. He goes on and he says that the son, they've spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Jesus is the heir of all things. And what we're gonna see as we work through these verses man, is, Again, picture that, that light being separated out and being able to zero in on, on one color and appreciate it for its beauty. And as we look at these different aspects of who Christ is and what he's accomplished, to be able to zero in and see his majesty and his beauty and his authority. And here we see that Jesus is the heir of all things. The heir of all things. That everything, Everything and all of creation, physical, the material, immaterial, all of time and space, all of it belongs to Jesus. And he tells us why. Because he made it, he sustains it, and he's redeemed it. So he stands to inherit all of it by God the Father's appointment. Jesus inherits all of it, and that includes us. The Son has been appointed by God to receive all things as an inheritance. This will be unpacked throughout the letter, but this includes the nations. This is what was 
Remember the promise to Abraham? Like the nations will come to God through his work in revealing himself to humanity. Jesus inherits the nations. And primarily in the letter of Hebrews, he's inheriting the world to come, which includes us, those he redeems. It includes his throne that he'll sit upon for all of eternity. He inherits all things, through whom also he created the world. That Jesus is the agent of creation. That the Son spoke and created the world. And here the word world, it's more the, not just, again, the the physical world, but like all of time and space. It, It means the ages. It goes beyond just the physical material universe. It's everything, everything that he spoke into existence. He rules and reigns over it supremely. He spoke it into existence by the power of his word. And this is huge. This is big. It's large. Those are filler words where I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. Because he's going to talk about how he creates by his, his word, right? And, the, the, and we read it, that he upholds everything, that he sustains it by his word, right? And that ultimately what we're being called to is to pay closer attention to the things that Jesus has said. And so it's appropriate to stop and think about what Jesus has done through his word, that we we read it from Colossians. We know this, that that all the Bible points to this, that Jesus is the one, the son of God is the one who spoke the universe into existence. And I think about Lewis's allegory of Christianity where he envisions the great lion singing Narnia into existence. It's one of the coolest parts of that series. And in my mind, and I don't know if it works this way, but like what they say is that they being people who, you know, study things, what they say is that like sound never stops, right? It carries on forever. And this idea that when, when Jesus said, let there be light, when Jesus called dry ground out of the sea, when Jesus said, let there be vegetation and everything have a seed within itself to reproduce, and he, he called birds into the air and <laughs> fish into the sea, and then he, he formed us and breathed life into us. And as he spoke all these things, that those same words reverberate throughout all of human history, right now, right now by the power of the word of Jesus, we are held together. Our atoms aren't spitting off of each other and exploding and and we're not ceasing to exist. Like gravity is still a thing because the word of Christ holds. Who else is like Jesus? Supreme, he's better. His word is better because he holds us together. But when it says this, when it says, and we'll come back to the radius of the glory of God, I'm not forgetting that, but because he, he, he goes on and he says that he, he, he upholds all things, that it, everything is upheld by the word of his power. It's not just the idea that he's keeping it together. The words there go far beyond that. Don't picture, you know, Atlas carrying the globe on his back. You know, it's not the idea that the son of God upholds the whole universe that he's just like this cosmic balancing act where he's keeping it going. It's more speaking to like, it pictures Jesus as this great conductor, 
who's written this beautiful and intense and intricate symphony. And he's conducting it, he's leading it, and every note is in its proper place. And all of it is building to something. All of it is coming to its appointed end. That is what Jesus is doing with all of creation, with all of time, with all of history, with all of us, with every note that makes up your life, all of your relationships, all of your decisions, all of your words. All of the sin that's being committed against you and by you, all of it. (laughs) Because he has the power to create, to sustain, to redeem, all of it. It's gonna take forever if I keep doing that. All of it, he's working to its appointed end that he set, that he wrote. He's the author and the perfecter. Verse three. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Radiance. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce which, by the way, make a note if you're looking for commentaries. I really, I love F.F. Bruce's commentary, uh, and it's the New International, um, N-I-N-C-T, New Testament commentary that F.F. Uh, F. Bruce wrote. It's really good. So is uh, Guthrie's commentary that's done by the NIV application series. Both of those are really good. Um, Bruce says this about the ra- Jesus being the radiance of the glory of God. It says, radiation shining forth from a source of light. Just as the radiance of the sun reaches this earth, so in Christ the glorious light of God shines into the hearts of men and women. He's the radiance of the glory of God, right? And I, and I think, man, we now know, right, that you, you cannot approach the sun on your own terms. Well, hopefully you've always known that. Like, Right, if you got too close to the sun, your wings would burn up, right? Like you, you, would, you would die, you'd, you'd be consumed. And I mean, it's such a picture of God's holiness, his, the essence of his nature and his character, he's holy, and because of our sin, we cannot fly to him, be consumed. But God in his grace, through the radiant glory of Jesus, <laughs> comes to us in such a way just like the heat and the light of the sun comes to earth in such a way that we can experience it and have life. Jesus comes to us and he brings the truth of God and the holiness of God and the righteousness of God and the love and the grace and the majesty of God to us in such a way where we wouldn't be condemned but we would have life. He's the embodiment of the, of the nature that is the essence of God in human flesh. He is truly God with us. He's God come to save us. To see Jesus is to see God. To hear Jesus is to hear God. To know Jesus is to know God. In Jesus, God has been made manifest to us. 
He is the supreme, the ultimate, and the final revelation of God. He's our great prophet. And in these verses, what the writer of Hebrews is being careful to do is as he separates out the light so we can focus on the goodness of Christ, he shows me he is the better prophet. But not just the better prophet, he's the better priest and king, and he emphasizes the threefold office that Christ has in fulfilling all these images and types and shadows from the Old Testament. He's the better prophet. He brings a final full word. But having received that, we're now more accountable to it. There is accountability in the Old Testament when the prophets spoke on behalf of God, and there is now more so because Christ himself has spoken to us. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is so packed full. And this is where the, the letter of Hebrews, the sermon of Hebrews, stands uh, such a high place in the New Testament is what it reveals about Jesus as our great high priest. And it's so unique. And what would be immediately oh, so mind-blowing for anybody who in the first century who understood the Old Testament sacrificial system is that it says that after making purification, right, as a priest, after Jesus makes purification, he sits down. That would be mind-blowing because what we know about the Old Testament sacrificial system is the priest never sat. Begs the question why? It's because their work was never done. And it's because it was an imperfect system from the beginning. But the imperfection didn't lie with God's design, the imperfection lies within us. Because you had a sinful man taking the blood of an animal, which couldn't take away our guilt, our shame, into a temple made with hands and putting it on an earthly altar. And so the work continued, and God in his grace received it, and he approved of it, he instituted it, but it was shadow. It was shadow that has given now way to the real, because Jesus is able to sit down because he's a greater high priest, because he took not the blood of bulls and goats, but he took his own blood, so he, as a better high priest, brings a better sacrifice. And he didn't take it into the temple made with hands, but into a better temple, into the very presence of God. And he didn't put it on an earthly altar, he put it on the very mercy seat before God the Father. And his sacrifice was accepted. And so Jesus then, the picture is that Jesus then sits down, his work in making purification was over. So he's able to offer the one-time perfect sacrifice for our sins, and now he can give us an eternal redemption. In chapter seven, he says, he is able to save to the uttermost throughout all the ages. This age and the age to come, his salvation is secure because his work is complete 
because he's better. Everything he is and everything he does is better. But this, him sitting down has two meanings because it doesn't just picture him as our great prophet who has come representing God to us perfectly and now as our great high priest perfectly representing us before God to bring us into right relationship with him through his purification, but now it envisions him as our great and better king because where he sits is at the right hand of the majesty of God on high. Who is he? He's king. He's the eternal king. He is the fulfillment of what the picture of king even was invented for. He sits eternally enthroned with all authority over creation, over this age, and the age to come. And sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become is much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. In the next chapter, we'll learn more about why it says he's been made better than the angels. Wasn't he always better than the angels because he's the son of God? Yes, but for a little while, he was made lower than the angels, and he did that for a reason. He did that by taking on human flesh so he could become our better prophet, priest, and king. Because our first king, Adam, his dominion, his authority that he was given was usurped and he fell and he lost it. And Jesus comes and takes it back and then he sits to rule and reign over us forever and he will never yield that dominion to any enemy. It's secure in him so that our hope of the world to come is secure. So I, I, I said a minute ago that this, these verses stand as an introduction. I, I, I love it. He doesn't, he doesn't give a greeting, right? Like he doesn't say this is so-and-so writing to so-and-so and tell everyone hello. And he doesn't do that. The, it is a letter. At the end of Hebrews, he greets people and he gives some instruction. But he just launches in to these beautiful, powerful words about Jesus. And, and the truth is this, that that all of this will be unpacked more as we go throughout the letter, but I do wanna say some things as, in way of introduction to how we should study this and how we should approach it. And I really wanna encourage us as a church, to wherever you're currently studying, whatever you're doing, maybe in addition to that or maybe hitting pause, I think it would be so valuable to really dive into this study together that maybe your study of Hebrews would take your devotion to another level. That I think for all of us, we should challenge ourselves to take our study of God's word deeper. And I don't primarily mean, and I'm not primarily thinking about learning how to use more tools and maybe diving more into studying the original language. Because the main point of the letter of Hebrews, the main focus and theme is, yes, that, that we would see Jesus as better, but, but not only so that we would come in here and just be super psyched about Jesus. We should, that should be one of the fruits of seeing who Jesus is, but his purpose 
for exposing these things about Jesus is so that we would persevere faithfully in our pursuit of Jesus to the end. That's why he writes this letter. That's why God put Hebrews in the Bible, so that you and I would stay faithful to Jesus to the end of our lives, that we wouldn't drift away from him, which is the first warning that we get in this letter in chapter two, that we wouldn't have an evil heart of unbelief because of the deceitfulness of sin, which is the warning in chapter three. that we wouldn't become so hard-hearted that we would begin to see Jesus' death as just an event in history, that we wouldn't become so hard-hearted that we would disregard the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus altogether and fall away. He writes this letter so that we would continue pursuing Jesus day in and day out as we see him as better than everything. And what he gives us in order to hold fast, he tells us, hold fast to your confession. Hold fast to your confidence. He says, we have to pay much closer attention. Attention to what? To the one who's speaking. Who's speaking? God, supremely through the life, death, and resurrection and teachings of Jesus. It is Jesus speaking to us. And he says, you gotta pay much closer attention. He says, don't, what, how does he say it in chapter 12? Be careful, it's the final warning, be careful that you do not disregard the one who is speaking. He's saying, pay, pay much closer attention. Listen up, listen to Jesus. He says, consider Jesus. He says, look to Jesus. And that's what I want us to do as a church through this study is let's learn how to and let's devote ourselves more to paying attention to Jesus. And as we do that, he will continue to create and sustain our faith. He's already authored it. He's in the process of perfecting it in you through the trials and temptations of your life. And I think this is why we don't really know who the author is. And I'm not going to go into a whole like class on the different suggestions of who the author is. No, no one knows. O- Origen said this about halfway through the third century. He said, it, after he laid out the pros and cons for everyone who's ever been listed, which everyone and anyone in the history of the Bible has been suggested as the author of Hebrews, Origen said, we don't know. Only God knows. But I think that's the point. Even the way that the letter, this this book of Hebrews is written, it quotes from the Old Testament all the time. He's constantly taking us to Old Testament passages and he never speaks of the human author. Save one time, he always says, and the Spirit says in one place, or he says, He's always pointing to the divine authorship of the Old Testament because what he wants us to get is God is speaking to us. God is speaking to you. 
And so as we go through this study, like we need to see it this way, that God is speaking to us here and now through the letter of Hebrews, Jesus is speaking to you. Now let somebody else get in the way. All other mediation has been moved aside. Jesus is the mediator, bringing the full, clear revelation, the word of God to you. So let's not miss out on that. Let's pay much closer attention. Let's learn how to look to Jesus more. I know one thing just practically that I would suggest as a way of application is you, you can read the letter of Hebrews in an hour. If you read it out loud, at least I can, and uh, I am not a fast reader. I think it's, I, I believe it's written as a sermon. It, it was meant to be read as a sermon, except for the, where he's signing off. I, I would encourage you this week to read through it. If you can do it in one sitting, if you can set aside an hour, if you can set aside an hour to hear directly from God, if you can fit that into your schedule. If not, break it into two. Uh, but, you know, whether you read it out loud, which I did the other day, I was by myself, I just read it out loud, took me an hour. In preparing for this, I, I, you know, sometimes what I'll do is I'll just listen to the, whatever Bible app I have, read it, and I'll read along with it. Man, one thing that you're gonna get by experiencing that is just getting the overview of the letter. To see from all these different angles the supremacy and how Jesus really is better that's gonna rise to the surface in your mind. And I encourage you as you do that, and for, for some of you this is gonna be elementary, but some of you this is you taking the next step in your devotion to Jesus is, man, have a journal and begin to write down what you're learning. Write down what you're seeing about Jesus and, and, and what he's calling you to because he writes this letter so that we would persevere. And what that presupposes is that when he's warning us not to drift, not to be deceived by sin and have an evil heart and to fall away, what that presupposes is that we have a bent to drift, that in our flesh we will drift, we'll stop listening, our hearts will be deceived by sin and become hard against God. And so we fight against that by intentionally listening to and looking to Jesus. And what that's gonna look like on a random Tuesday is you setting aside time to open God's word and see Jesus exalted from the scriptures. And take the time to meditate on it, to pray through it. To pray through, I encourage you to pray this. And where am I most likely to drift in my life? What pleasures or pressures are most likely to carry me away? That would be the tide that the ship of my faith would get sucked into to take me away from the safe harbor of Christ. What would do that? Ask the Lord to show it to you that it would be identified. Because Jesus is better. He's better than your circumstances. In fact, he's supreme over them. Jesus is better than our pride. And Jesus is better than our addiction. And Jesus is better than our sexual desires. Jesus is better than our depressions and anxieties. Jesus is better than your bitterness. Jesus is better than our plans, our comfort, our wealth, and our entertainment. Jesus is better than whatever would cause you to drift away. So let's look to him. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. The words that he spoke 
at creation are reverberating right now, and so are the words that he spoke when you first heard the gospel. And you became alive. And faith, <laughs> real faith, is made alive in you. He authored that and he is perfecting it right now. But we have, we have a responsibility. We are told to hold fast. We are told to listen. So let's do that together. Let's pursue Jesus well together through this study. I really think the Lord wants to deepen and widen our impact in this community. But that only happens as we ourselves and our faith deepen and widen and our love and our obedience and our submission to the word of Christ, how we see him, how we approach him. Pray with me. Lord God, love you. Thank you for your word. I thank you that you have given us promises and warnings to hold fast to. I pray, Lord, as we start this series that you would give us a passion. And maybe, maybe it's no coincidence that it's starting with a new year. That you want to do, that you would do a new work in us individually and corporately that we would see our, our own lives and our families grow, that we'd see our church family grow in maturity and in baptisms and confessions of faith and influence around the world, that you'd be honored and glorified by that. I pray, Lord, that, you would, that you'd rescue those who are drifting right now, that right now they're, they're adrift away from you, that you bring them back through your promises, through your warnings. I pray that you keep us from ever going there, that you would continue to perfect the faith that you've gifted us. Lord, I pray now that you would give some who maybe came in not really knowing you, and maybe even just in these few short words, saw you exalted, saw your beauty and your majesty as prophet, priest, and king, that you would, in your kindness, lead them to repentance, gift them faith, and give them the courage to pull somebody aside to talk about it. I pray for those that want to pursue you more through the study of your word, that you give them the courage to pull aside a small group leader, a pastor, and ask, okay, how, how do I do that? How do, how do I better study the word? And give us the courage to have these conversations and to sharpen one another and to consider how we can encourage one another. I pray, Lord, that you would save the lost and that you would grow your church. Lord, we love you and we need you and pray that you would receive the worship right now that you alone are worthy of. In Christ's name, amen.